0: Hi there everybody, my name is Scott Grayson and you're listening to Mentally Unscripted, the podcast where my co-host Paul and I inspire you to think clearer and have better conversations about the topics most impacting us today. When you ride along with us, we'll take you on a journey that will show you that there's always more than one way to look at an issue. You'll learn to think critically about the world and how to challenge the narratives those in power want you to believe so they can control and shape our world. Today's guest is Sarah Kazi, the owner of Kazi Consulting LLC and host of the Kazi Consulting podcast. Sarah's experience consulting with firms of all sizes on their recruiting and staffing needs puts her in the unique position to see how COVID and our response to it are changing the nature of how we work. Sarah has great insights into our changing attitude towards work from our desire to escape cubicle zombie nation to organizational insecurities that lead to the micromanagement of employees. Her advice will help you shape a career that will take you to the upper levels of your field with confidence, integrity, and nobility. If 2020 and 2021 have you questioning the nature of how you earn a living, this is a must-listen episode. Sarah is friendly engaging and to be honest with you rather blunt so we had an excellent time talking to her so sit back and join us on episode 45 of mentally unscripted sisyphus and how COVID changed the nature of work with sarah causey thank you for joining us today and today we have a very uh, excellent guest uh it is sarah causey from the causey consulting podcast and she's also the owner of Kazi Consulting LLC and she has more of more than a decade of experience in staffing and recruiting and she serves as a business consultant to companies ranging from mid-level firms to Fortune 100 corporations and you can check her out on like I said the Kazi Consulting podcast and that podcast along with the Mental Supermodels podcast are those are my two go-to podcasts when I see those pop up in the feed I make sure that I listen to those as soon as I can and Sarah's is just full of great information about the world of working and consulting and freelancing, and um, she's got a lot of good tips on just self improvement and mental health. So it's it's an awesome podcast. So welcome, Sarah. We'll turn it over to you. Is there anything to that that you need to add to that bio?
1: That was really a, a great introduction. Thank you so much, Scott. I I'm deeply appreciative for that and. Certainly grateful to be here. I guess the only thing that I would add about my uh, my song and dance here is that I'm also a full time farmer and rancher. I'm interested in getting a little bit more off the grid, a little bit more off the beaten path, so to speak. So I'm I'm bis- like you. I remember asking when you were my guest, do you sleep at all? Uh, some sometimes I ask myself the same question, but. I'm I'm definitely glad to be here with you guys today.
0: <laughs> well that's great. We're glad to have you here. And so I have to ask, are you have you gone full on prepper yet? Are you uh getting ready for the apocalypse? <laughs>
1: uh- No, I mean, I want to uh, in in so many respects. Um, uh, There are things that I can do as far as like sewing, knitting, cooking, cleaning, canning, preserving. I mean, I feel like I am maybe a little bit more prepared than the average Joe. But um, in the event that zombies are walking the streets at some point, eating our brains, uh, I would just have to I I would just have to use a a, a bone saw and a hatchet and just do whatever needed to be done to survive, I guess. I hope it doesn't come to that point, but you just never know anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well,
0: I that might be the next big panic. I don't I know. know. If uh climate change doesn't have the, necess- the desired effect, you know, they may try uh. to just convince us we're being attacked by zombies or something. Well, that's that's great. So we're so happy to have you here. Um I was been looking forward to this conversation. We wanted to talk to you about what you're seeing with COVID. How is that changing the uh landscape for employees as far as building their careers or maybe employees who are looking at changing jobs we know that covid has caused a lot of people to start working from home so we're seeing a shift out of the offices and in or out of the centralized offices and into home offices but is there anything beyond that what challenges are people facing what advantages has covid maybe brought about um, what are your thoughts on that
1: that's a great question. And obviously, as you mentioned, working from home, but I think it goes a little bit deeper than that. It's not just people realizing, oh, yes, I can work from home. It's about a real sea change in society. Of course, there are jobs that require someone to be on site. Uh, I would not want to do telehealth for brain surgery. I would want the neurosurgeon to be there in the operating room with me. Call me crazy, but I think that would be a good idea. Uh, same thing if with an, uh, with, with an auto mechanic, I'm going to have to take my car in in order to have that person fix the car. So I get it. There are some positions that would require you to be physically on site. But a vast majority, I would say, of things that we do now are capable of being either completely remote or in some kind of hybrid model. And I think managers and company owners have had to accept reality. You know, when you and I talked before, I mentioned the digital panopticon. I think some of these micromanagers and tyrants have had to face reality that people are savvy and they're not going to put up with the constant surveillance and the threat of being micromanaged. Okay, the sales manager's walking the floor. I better, Jesus is coming. Look busy. You know, I I have to pretend that I'm not surfing Facebook and wanting to jump off the roof right now because big boss man's behind me. So I think it's not only proven to the employees themselves that they're capable of being productive. I think managers and company owners have had to accept that reality as well. And I read a statistic the other day, you know, about Striketober. There are there's more public support for striking employees now than there has been since 1965. I can't say I'm surprised by that because I think people are looking around and saying, you know, if you're still in that butt in seat, boot to the back of your neck mentality after your workforce has proven that they're responsible and they're capable, then kind of like F you. I mean, I want to keep this clean. I don't know if you guys run an explicit podcast here, but it's sort of like two middle fingers to the air on that. So I I have to say, for for my money, I don't want to, I certainly don't want to say anything about the pandemic being a positive. But if we can look at the ramifications of the workforce being more empowered, I- I'm all about it.
0: Have you heard anything from companies about ramping up their um i guess their their remote worker surveillance? Oh, um, yeah. you know I don't know key loggers or video recording, you know anything? So what is, I mean, what is the the attitude towards that and what are we seeing?
1: Yes. So I, I, I'm glad that you asked me this question because I've had some coaching clients who have come to me and said, well, somebody wants me to freelance for them, but only if I record myself working or I install a screenshotting software and it's so degrading and belittling as a professional to be treated that way. I always, personally, I always tell my clients, don't do that. If somebody is asking you for that kind of invasion of your privacy, don't go along with it find a client who's more respectful of your time and you know, basic human dignity. But I will tell you early on when I was trying to pave my way out of corporate America and and my way out of cubicle zombiedom. there was a person, I'm going to be necessarily vague here, but I, there was a person who came to me with a proposition saying, I, I need to do some recruiting around the software that I have. And it's Um, It's formed around remote employees being able to log into the centralized system and to log their time. It's really all about the employees ensuring that they get paid for all the hours that they've worked wink, wink, but really it's surveillance. So they're going to download this app thinking that they're tracking their time so that they're insured to be paid for all of the hours that they work. But in reality, it's surveilling them. So it's a win-win for everybody. And I I told this person, I 100,000% decline to work on this project for you because I have so many immoral objections to this. I, I don't even know where to start with listing off the red flags around something like that. So the short answer to the question is, yes, absolutely. There've been companies trying to rage against the machine and keep the old way going of no matter where you are, I want to be big brother and watch you. So I think it's a very diabolical way of doing business. And I hope, knock on wood, that it's on its way out.
0: I hope so. I felt like I worked for a micromanager when I was with the government, but I still had an office with a door where I could go and close the door and at least feel like I was getting some relief. But I kind of feel like if there was surveillance on my computer or or a camera watching me- then i would be e- un- under even more surveillance at home than in the office yes. so um i guess well, in that respect it could be getting worse
2: i was going to i was going to say you have that effect right that you operate differently when a camera's on you when 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 you know you're being recorded and watched than if you aren't right and so you can have performative type of activity occurring uh rather than real real authenticity. And that seems like a very, it seems like a road to to nowhere, nowhere good, at least.
1: Yes. No, I'm so glad that you brought that up because to me, that's why I draw the comparison of the panopticon. Because in the prison system, the, the inmates under the panopticon, they don't really know if they're being watched in that exact moment, but they're just aware that they could be watched. And so the behavior that you get is different from a very natural state of flow. And in the workplace, when you think about, well, my, my boss could be like watching the webcam right now. He could see me blowing my nose or he could see me telling my kids to go play in the other room and leave mommy alone. Like, you know, it's going to be a different level of behavior than if you're just relaxed.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I- I was just thinking that i I wonder if we're gonna see the quality of work decline in some areas where like you said, like you can't relax or maybe you have an employee who's you know a little bit of a cowboy and a little willing to break away from procedure in order to help go the extra mile for a customer now maybe they would less likely to do that. yeah, that's an interesting
2: thought well, yeah, I wanted to add at the extreme, you know i I remember having a discussion with someone at my at my company where they were talking about they were talking to person that was a disruptive force within the organization and why, why was that? Well, he went against most of the conventional norms in order to path new, new, to, to find that new path to growth, to find the new sales channels to find the the products that they could sell, and it ruffled a lot of feathers. and this person who spoke to him in, in kind of a smaller environment, a quiet environment, said so basically do continue to do what you're doing because you are the future. Of this firm, we need people with your kind of boldness, your kind of thinking. This isn't a, I say, a suggestion that you need to go out there and break all the rules, but it it poses a problem when everything's recorded. When you don't give people autonomy, how do you expect knowledge workers to be creative um, when everything they they do is recorded and it's measured against these policies which are intentionally rigid which implies that they can never change.
1: That's a great point, but I I think there are companies out there that favor conformity and control so highly That someone who is more of a maverick, someone who has a more creative bend and they're of that mindset that whatever it takes to get the job done and to ensure that I'm providing an outstanding deliverable to my client, I'll do it. They would would rather have more control and more power than to have more revenue. And I hope that those companies will go under in the current climate. I mean, obviously, you always hope, but sometimes these people could shake the bushes and find money anywhere to stay afloat. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) So are you seeing people fleeing from those companies and either striking out on their own to become freelancers or entrepreneurs or just trying to go to companies that have less of that micromanaging command and control mindset?
1: Yes, I would say it's a mix. So definitely in light of the great resignation, I am seeing more people, especially in these types of technical or STEM related fields where they absolutely can work from home. There's no need for them to literally ever go into an office anywhere. They know that they have more freedom and more mobility and they're taking advantage of it. Because another, I think, consequence of COVID is that it made more people realize life is short. We don't know at any point in time when our number might be up or when our freedoms might be infringed upon. So damn it! I'm going to make sure that I make the most of my time here and that I do what needs to be done for myself and my family. So there's a real unwillingness to put up with the control freak mentality. And for people that aren't interested in freelancing or becoming an entrepreneur, then yes, they are seeking out companies that have some type of brain cells left and they're willing to allow employees the flexibility to do whatever they need to do to be productive. And and those companies tend to be results oriented rather than process oriented. So we're not talking about the anal retentive types that want to know, well, how did you get from A to Z? I want you to show your work like I'm the math teacher from eighth grade. It's more like, I don't care how you got there. I'm just glad that you did.
0: Yeah. Sort of looking for the right answer instead of looking for the process that you followed to get to the right answer. Hey folks, Scott here with a quick message. How many times has a casual conversation with a friend, family member, or coworker turned into an argument, complete with raised tempers and hurt feelings? If you're thinking it happens too often, you're not alone. These days, it seems like topics we should all agree on end up being the source of rifts in our relationships, but it doesn't have to be that way. The good news is that Paul and I have a solution for you. We've put together the free guide, How to Never Argue Again Unless You Want To. In it, we explain how you can rescue conversations before they turn into relationship-destroying arguments. Not only will How to Never Argue Again Unless You Want To save your friendships, but its advice will help everyone involved get a better understanding of other sides of debate and actually strengthen instead of weakening your relationships. It's the best guide to productive conversations available. And all you have to do to get How to Never Argue Again, unless you want to, for free, is to go to the Mentally Unscripted website, mentallyunscripted.com, and sign up for our email newsletter. That's mentallyunscripted.com. Sign up for our email newsletter. And now, back to the show.
2: I I was kind of curious if you've seen some interesting creative approaches that uh, employees have taken you know, with, with maybe some of the challenges, you know, you mentioned some of the STEM folks and other knowledge workers that really don't have a, a, a strong need to be on, on site. Uh, but I, I, I guess in my own experience, I, I know the challenge of getting someone new up to speed, wanting to be there. If I'm just making a real clear example, I'm sitting down walking through formulas in Excel. And some of that feels like it can be you know, useful to be in person to catch some of the cues, maybe some of the, the things that they're not understanding. So more of the mentoring side, I see, is maybe an area that there's people have questions about, like, you know, how do we do that? Are you seeing some creative approaches uh, to, to dealing with maybe some of the challenges of remote work? Yeah,
1: I mean, technology, as we were talking earlier, technology is great. Obviously, there are times when there are hiccups and things don't function quite as well as we would like. But by and large, we have tools that allow people to be in synchronized form so that if you do want to demonstrate something in Excel, for example, you can do a screen share and you can be watching that person's body language in case they're saying, yeah, I think I get it. But you can tell by their body language and the tone of voice that they're not quite there yet and maybe it needs a further explanation. So I feel like in some regards, the tools that could be used for evil, like surveillance and constant monitoring, can also be used for good. You know, as long as everybody can sense, we're not like Linda trip uh, secretly uh, taping Monica Lewinsky, uh, where everybody knows that they're being recorded, everybody knows what's going on. Um, and it's and it's legal. Um, I, I think it's great. Um, But again, I just think think we have to be really careful about the negative uses of technology. It's great as far as bringing everybody up to speed and letting everyone see the same information and make sure that everything's disseminated to everyone at the same time. Uh, But again, I, I think there has to be a lot there around consent you know does does bob from accounting really need to be on this zoom call today or is it truly just for sally sue and hr i mean so i think part of it too can come down to making sure that you're not forcing people that don't really need to be in a zoom meeting to be in a zoom meeting just for that sort of fake togetherness and and a prize of conformity
0: so I know when I was on your podcast we talked about the value of having multiple income streams. Yes. One thing that we saw with COVID is just how how tenuous your positions can be that some government can label you non-essential and then all of a sudden you have no income. For the folks out there who w- want to get into freelancing and maybe start to build up some side hustles to have a fallback position in case this happens again, what's your best advice? Do you recommend starting off with the freelancing websites? or is there some other way to get going?
1: This is a great question. I'm so glad that you're bringing this up. And I think we have to 100% assume that that this or something like this is going to happen again, whether it's COVID version 3000, or whether it's some other crisis, uh, climate change, lockdowns, whatever it is, assume that it's going to happen again. You you will never regret making a good game plan for a what-if style emergency. And I I think that freelancing websites can be useful if you're getting started let's say that you're still in cubicle zombie life, but you know that you want to get out or you want to have more power and control over your own income. But for the time being, you need the salary and you need the benefits provided by an employer. I feel that those freelancing websites can be a really good way to do your beta testing, to get some proof of concept, and then also to get feedback in real time. What's working? What isn't? Is there a demand for the service that I'm providing? I mean, I think kind of, Just entrepreneurship 101 is that instead of creating a service or a product and then trying to gin up demand, you're better off looking for where there's already some type of demand and then creating a product or service around that. So figure out, you know, using freelance websites, if you choose to, where your piece of the puzzle is going to make the most sense in the market. And stack your cash, live beneath your means. Don't look at the salary that you're getting from the day job along with what you're getting from your side hustle and go, oh, great. I can, you know, go buy a new car now or I can put a new iMac in every room. This is like you, you want to be smart about what you're doing so that you have that nest egg when you are ready to shove off or if your boss hands you a pink slip, if you have to stay home unpaid because of some, some other lockdown you'll know that you can survive. So my advice is, generally speaking, utilize those freelancing websites in the beginning. And then once you have a client base and you've got some steady income occurring, leave them because all you're going to find in in that arena are people that are more of the Walmart or the Costco mentality, where they want you to do as much as possible while paying you as little as possible. It's not a sustainable business model for the long run, but it can definitely help you get started.
2: No, I I just think that's that's great to hear that I guess people have options. I guess a, th- a thought that does come to mind, you know, we talked about broadly STEM people and knowledge worker people, uh, you know, being able to take their their skill set and, and go find some some opportunities. Are, are there any areas or groups that you think are just super hot that maybe people could they're not exploring as much as they could? You know, like like I mentioned, Excel skills is that an area or presentation skills or other types of skills that maybe people are thinking, oh, you know, I'm not, I don't feel like it, there's enough demand here, but but they're they're just really actually not seeing the, the full picture. You
1: know, I would say almost anything right now as it relates to IT, and I'm sort of sitting here gesturing broadly, um, whether it's coding, programming, software engineering. Um, those are those are fields that are so in demand, and those people can really not only negotiate out almost exactly what they're wanting salary-wise, but also what they want in their working environment, the type of hours that they want to work. And, and I'll give you an example. So the, the person that handles my IT, I affectionately refer to her as a vampire because she does all of her work in the middle of the night. <laughs> so if I need to uh, put in a request about something, then it's probably going to happen at two or three o'clock in the morning. But I know that it's A, going to be handled and B, it's going to be handled really well. So I don't care what what kind of hours that she keeps. So I think anything as it relates to IT is even if you're like, well, I'm not super tech savvy, learn, you know, take that, take the time to get tech savvy, because if you enjoy that level of flexibility where somebody doesn't care if you're working at 2 p.m. or 2 a.m., that's definitely a field that will serve you well.
0: That's a great segue into my next question, dealing with difficult clients. So it sounds like in that scenario, you know what to expect. So you're not thinking that you're going to put the request in at noon and it's going to be worked on by one o'clock or 1 p.m. You know that it's going to be overnight and that you're not going to see it until the next day. But outside of setting expectations, what other um, tips do you have for people to build a good relationship with their client? And if they do have that difficult client, that is saying, you know what, I'm paying you. I expect one hour turnaround and I expect you to be online at 11 p.m. to answer my questions and all of that. How do you deal with those
1: difficult clients? That's another great question. So uh, in some, you don't. Uh, I, uh, Since you're a frequent listener to my podcast, you know I'm not afraid of bold statements and bold predictions. And uh, please, everyone listening to this episode, never ever be afraid to fire a bad client, someone who is draining your will to live, someone who is acting like they are going to suck your soul force right out of your body. If you get up in the morning and you are rubbing your temples thinking, I would really rather jump off the roof than do what I need to do today, life is too short for that. I'm going to guess that you left corporate America to have more freedom, to have more autonomy, and to work on things that juice you up and make you feel good. So a bad client, whether it's a micromanager, it's someone like you're saying where they want an immediate turnaround and they want to know how soon, right now or else, Then you just have to say or else don't ever sign anything that requires you to do something insane, whether it's a crazy tight turnaround or they're wanting you to be at their beck and call 24 hours a day. I know that we live in an age of these terms of service agreements that are like 100 pages long that nobody actually reads. They just click accept and they download an app. But when it comes to your business contracts or a scope of work that you are going to sign as a living legal document, for the love of God, always read what you're signing because you want to have an escape hatch. So my tactic for dealing with difficult clients is, number one, you put out some kind of warning hey, we talked about this, remember, and you want to really be that firm. Remember, you always want to ask that. You, you want to ensure that you talk about the rules of engagement at the front end. And then if they go and try to violate the rules of engagement, you want to give them that verbal warning. You know, we talked about the availability. Remember, I'm not online 24 hours a day. And then if they persist beyond the verbal warning, then fire them. Uh, okay, I know some people are going to, I'm going to get hate mail probably from this. People are going to be like, oh my God, you just can't go around firing people like a gunslinger in the wild west. Yes, I can. And yes, I have. And as a result in my practice, I just don't have the BS and the drama. And so I I don't get up in the morning and feel like I want to jump off the roof. I'm just engaging with people who not only respect me, they respect the gig.
0: Excellent advice.
2: I was just thinking of avoid paying a BS tax. You you don't know how heavy it is, right? That's that's really what it comes down to. I agree. Fantastic advice. Yeah.
0: And I think often... The most demanding clients are probably the ones that nickel and dime you to death on everything. So they're probably not your most profitable clients exactly. either. And they're the ones who are more than willing that if you're not going to meet their demands, they'll just, they'll throw you aside and go get someone else. I, I mm-hmm. kind of figure there's probably not a lot of loyalty with those those types of folks either. Exactly. So we've got a few minutes left and I wanted to touch on another subject. And this one is, it, it can be somewhat related to career growth and job searches, but it's also a broader, I think, just mental health, um, self-improvement topic. You did two episodes, I believe, on toxic positivity on your podcast, and those were both excellent episodes can you explain to us what is toxic positivity?
1: Yes. So in a nutshell, it's really denying anything that could be perceived as a negative, I'm using air quotes here, a negative emotion in favor of just always being happy. And it can be the people that are love and light only, only good vibes allowed, uh, always trying to find a silver lining. I actually have an episode coming up that I've recorded. Um, I, I recorded it while I was actually grieving a loss in my own life. And it's about toxic optimism which is this search for, there's gotta be a silver lining. There has to be a greater plan. It's all gonna work out. And toxic optimism is sort of a sister or brother to toxic positivity, where it's like, okay, my dad just died. I feel very upset. Nope, you gotta find a silver lining. It was all part of God's plan. Or it might be, oh my gosh, I just found out that my sister has stage four cancer and I'm just devastated. Well, I'm sure she's gonna beat it. I mean, it's just, it's this relentless pursuit of never being in a bad mood never feeling depressed or stressed out or disappointed or angry. And so it puts the person in this position of like having a gun to their head. Uh, Good good vibes only, love and light only, peace and harmony. And it's like that's it's such an inauthentic way to live that in your pursuit of happiness 24-7, you actually become quite miserable.
0: Right. It sounds like you would be setting yourself up for a lot of letdowns. Because you're always expecting everything to turn out great. Everything's going to be positive. Whereas if you take a more rational approach and you understand that, you know, hey, sometimes things don't go the way you want, then you're protected against that or you're strengthened or against that. or when, So when it happens, you can deal with it much more effectively.
1: That's true. And I, I'm glad that you particularly use the word rational, because let's face it, I'm, again, gesturing broadly. Um, let's look around us. We're, we're really not living in an age of reason. We're really not living in a time where rationality is prized. I mean, my God, there was an article that said, don't use critical thinking. Don't use your own research. So I, I think that sort of any BS peddler can make a dime right now by saying always be positive, always be happy. Don't don't think critically. So I mean, it's not only a, a, a bad mindset, but I think it's also a really sharky way of marketing too.
2: It, it feels like a an extension of the Instagram life, the the Facebook life, the inauthentic life, where you have this need to constantly show a perception of you. I don't know. Do you, do you, do you, see a connection there or do you think it has a different source? No, I
1: think that's a great analogy. This sort of, we need to, to get FOMO going. We need to make sure that even though our marriage is falling apart and we're probably going to file for a divorce next month, we need to make sure that we post pictures of ourselves, like all cuddled up date night with my cutie, you know, and then the next thing you know that they're, they're in divorce court. So it's all about a mirage. It's all about a false image. And, and I would say that it not only I, I would. OK, here's what I would say. It, it, it's uh, the Instagram and the Facebook and the FOMO are symptoms of a bigger problem. I, I think toxic positivity and toxic optimism also have their roots in like the prosperity gospel and always be living your best life, uh, always be blessed, always be thankful. So I think there may also be some sort of sociopolitical and religious roots to it as well.
0: Yeah. And we're certainly not saying don't be positive and don't be optimistic, but be rational about it. Uh, understand that. Yeah. Like I said before, you know, not everything's going to cut your way. So learn to judge, look at, learn to look at those situations and judge them accurately. Uh, Paul and I, we talk a lot about probabilistic thinking where you don't, you don't look at an outcome either is or isn't. You look at what are the possibility, what are the probabilities of the various outcomes and just be realistic about it. So if someone does get diagnosed with cancer, you know, they're not 100% going to beat it, but they may not 100%, it may not 100% be fatal, right. right? There's, there's some probability in there, you know, 20%, they'll beat it, you know, 40% they'll survive, but maybe a diminished capacity, you know, something like that. So that's a more rational and realistic way of looking at these types of situations.
2: Well, and I, there's another cut of this, right? That's, that's a very difficult way of trying to, to look at this because, um, you have the the really inauthentic positivity, right? Um, which never wants to grieve, never wants to acknowledge pain. Uh, it and it's it's this play. It's a plastic type of personality. And then I see, I see a different kind, um, which is perhaps radiant and positive, but also embraces those periods of sadness, frustration, and anger as emotions that you have to feel. And so they can, they can both be positive, but one of them is extremely, um, inauthentic and negative. And, and I, and, and there's another one that can say something like, um, yes, I have cancer and I'm, I'm going to beat it. And, um, I'm going to stay positive about that, but I'm also not going to ignore the feelings, frustration, the depression that I feel. I'm not going to act, I'm not going to try and put a layer over it as if it doesn't exist. So there's, there's a sort of complex interplay between those emotions.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I like the way that you're phrasing that. It's part of the human condition. Not every day is guaranteed to be sunshine and roses. And likewise, it shouldn't be storm clouds and fear and angst all the time either. You know, I talk a lot about uh, Camus and absurdism, because I remember reading the book, The Myth of Sisyphus, and trying to imagine Sisyphus happy as he's condemned to roll the boulder up the hill, only to have it roll back down again. You know, I mean, we're, we're going to have these moments of joy and bliss and happiness. But then they're also going to be punctuated with sadness and grief. And I think trying to cheat the system and say, I'm I'm not going to grieve a loss or I'm never going to get angry at somebody. I'm I'm never going to flip anybody off if they cut me off in traffic. I mean, it's like, come on, you're, you're human. There's going to be times when you need to feel what you need to feel.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine Sisyphus being very happy with anyone who says, uh, well, at least you're always going to have a job. You know, (laughs) there's something like that. (laughs) Well, that was awesome. And we want to be respectful of your time. So we know you got to get going. So uh, we just wanted to say, or Paul, did you have anything, any last things? No, no,
2: no. I, I think where you're going. I really appreciate the time, Sarah. I really enjoyed hearing your thoughts on these topics.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Yeah, no problem. And uh, before you go, is there
0: any, any last thing you wanted to plug? Um, we'll put links to your, uh, your website and your podcast in the show notes. And anything else?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You can always find me online at CauseyConsultingLLC.com. You can also find a link to the Causey Consulting podcast there. And uh, again, just want to say thanks for having me. It's been a blast today.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it.
1: You bet.
2: All right, cheers.